Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Now, probably the question I get asked more often than any other question when I'm either with a coaching client or in front of a group is, how do you motivate other people? Let me translate that question. It's not how do I motivate other people, it's how do I keep myself motivated, I think is what people are really looking for. And that is what we're gonna talk about. So first I need to tell you that even as a psychologist, the research on motivation for me is impossible to get through. There are so many competing models and competing frameworks and it's just not clear. Well, we have the answer for it because my guest today has spent her life saying, what does this research mean? How does it all fit together? And more importantly, what does it mean for you in motivating yourself and in motivating other people? So that's what we're going to do. My guest is Ayelet Fischbach, who is the Jeffrey Breckenridge Keller Professor of Behavioral Science and Marketing at the University of Chicago in the Booth School of Business. That's a mouthful to get out. She's also the author of a book I love called Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. She's led a number of professional societies in the academic research. She's an expert on motivation and decision-making, and her groundbreaking research on human motivation has won a bunch of awards including the Society of Experimental Social Psychology's Best Dissertation Award and Career Trajectory Award, and the Fulbright Educational Foundation Award, all of which are quite prestigious. So Ayelet, welcome to the show. Delighted to have you. Thank you so much for having me here, Wanda. I'm pleased because we need this, all of us need this to understand it. So I want to start, when we start this, I want to talk about how do I keep myself motivated, which is really the focus of the book. But then I'm going to, at the end, say, what does that mean in terms of motivating a team? But we're going to start with the self. But before I start on that one, I have to ask my favorite question, which is why? What got you started in interested in this research on motivation? Well, what is more interesting? <laughs> what is uh, more uh, important uh, where uh, health, uh, where uh, employment, our education, our relationships with, with other people are or a function of our motivation. And, and so I wanted to understand motivation uh, basically since I started grad school. I, I wanted to know how people motivate themselves. How, how do we achieve great things? And it's, uh, as you briefly mentioned, it's an exploding field with so much research and, and so much uh, news. And, and so it's been a very exciting journey. Yeah, I can imagine that it has been an exciting journey. All right, was there a pivotal moment in your life that you went, ah, motivation is it? Or has it just been something you landed on and you've just said, this is important? Oh, well, I was a, a graduate student in Israel at, at Tel Aviv University. Um, I uh, had no idea what it means to be a graduate student, what it means to, to do research and to choose a topic and uh, and what do you do when you get up in the morning and the less structure you have in your life the less structure you have at work the more you understand that 
you need motivation. And and so I, I think like many people, it started very much as, as me search. I just wanted to know, uh, how do you do this? How do you like get up in the morning and decide what you are going to do? But I, I've now like over 20 years uh, later, and I, <laughs> I, I, I also, I, I've had the chance to look around me and and see that motivation is, is not really uh, my uh, personal uh, problem. It's something that Everybody cares about, yeah. Well, it's motivation whether you're interested in changing something about your life or about your behavior, about your leadership. When we talk about engagement, I think we're probably also talking about motivation. When we talk about, um, in some ways, accountability, motivation is a piece of that. When we talk about, I mean, it's kind of hard to point to human behavior in an organization that doesn't have motivation at its roots, as you rightly say. All right. So let's start with the self. In your view, this is a terribly unfair question. I'm still going to ask it. What does it take to motivate yourself and to keep yourself motivated? Like summarize it all for me in one <laughs> few sentences. Um, well, uh, it takes understanding that there are basically uh, four parts to this process. You need to set a goal. You need to uh, monitor your progress toward this uh, goal. You need to manage everything else that is going on in your life. You need to fit that goal with, with other goals. Uh, and you uh, need to seek social support. You need to design that the social support, having people around you that will uh, support uh, your goals. So you have to think about these four elements. You also need to understand that uh, Motivation is not about telling myself that I should work harder, okay? It's not about uh, this like self-talk, like just do it, okay? Just do more of it. It's really about using strategies and changing something about the situation or the way you understand your situation that uh, leads to the change. Yeah, you see this. I mean, I read it in the book. Um, when we've talked before, I heard you say it, that part of motivating is changing the situation or changing the circumstances. All right. Ex can you just get, explain that? Where does that conclusion come from? Well, the way we change behavior and the way we change cognition is by changing something around us. This is basically the, the principle behind all the behavioral science. So whether you're an, a psychologist like me, an, an economist, a sociologist, okay, the way you, you think about behavior, the way you understand what people do is by looking at their situation, by looking at their circumstances. When it comes to motivation, I think that the most trivial example that we all use is setting an alarm clock. I can tell myself that it's very important. I will wake up at 6 a.m. tomorrow. I can also skip the self-talk and just put an alarm clock. And as it turns out, it's very hard to sleep when there is loud noise in my room. No, a much more, I think, impressive example but that many people heard of is that uh, our health and, and our weight is very much a function of our zip code. And uh, according to some analysis, more function of our zip code than our genetic code. Okay, So it's less our biology and more our situation and what kind of opportunities to be healthy are in front of us. The nice thing when it gets to motivating yourself is that you don't need to be subject to the situation. You can change the situation to which you are subject. Okay? You can 
put the alarm clock, okay? You can uh, uh, put yourself in a situation where the, the food around you is, is good for you, when uh, exercising is, is easy, when it comes to mind. You can change your behavior by anticipating that you're going to respond to what is in front of you and put in front of you what will create the change. Okay. I like that. You respond to what's in front of you. And it's not necessarily just willpower or self-talk. Maybe those are important, but they're not the pieces that are going to really get the momentum and get going. All right. Let's, um, I love that. I change behavior by changing the situation. And that applies to me. It applies to the team. All right. So four component parts, you describe that as goals, you know, setting the right goals, monitoring progress on those. We're all spent a long time talking about that because I found some of the insights in that one surprising, not the standard story we've always heard. There's this piece about monitoring progress or something you call striving. There's the piece about recognizing we have competing priorities and how do you think about those priorities? Also hugely insightful. And as it turns out, we are social creatures at the end of the day. So without the right social support, it isn't going to work as well. Let's start though with the goal thing. There are so many pieces about this. So you talk about how to frame the goal as an enticing goal. Explain how, how I set a goal that's going to make a difference. A few things to keep in mind. Uh, you want to set a goal that is not a chore. And I think that uh, uh, this is what you refer to with enticing, okay? Something right. that is, is exciting, okay? That, uh, that you want to do it, that it's not about uh, uh, having to do it, or at least not just. Okay, uh, You want to... Set a goal that ideally is an approach, is a do goal and not an avoidance. That is a do not uh, uh, goal. The problem with avoidance goals is that they tend to get us thinking about what we should not do and bring to mind the, the thing that we are trying to avoid. So they're often less enticing, they're less fun, and uh, they bring to mind uh, what you're trying to avoid. Uh, you want your, your goal to be intrinsic. You want your goal to be intrinsic, and that's probably the, the most important thing to keep in mind when, when setting a goal. An intrinsic goal is, is a goal that is rewarding, not just because you will achieve it, but also as, as you do that. This is often not trivial to people because the reason we set a goal is that we are thinking long term. Okay? I don't do it because it's fun to do. I do it because I want to be healthy, because I want to be smart, because I want to be successful and, and, and so on. And yet what predicts persistence is actually the, the immediate uh, uh, gratification, the, the intrinsic motivation, the feeling that doing it is an end in itself. So let me be a bit more concrete here. Okay. Uh, okay. This is, uh, uh, we are around New York, and uh, this is the time when people set New Year's resolutions. And when we followed New Year's resolutions, both in uh, uh, the US uh, and in China, uh, we found that intrinsic motivation predicts uh, following through. So we, when we look in like February and March and June and like all the way uh, to the following November, uh, people that set to do something that is not just a chore, but they also like doing it were the people that were able to stick to their resolutions. So let's say a simple goal is I want to increase my network. Okay. 
And I'm going to do that because that's good for my career and trajectory and maybe ultimately getting promoted or some variation. And that's my year. It's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to increase the size of my network. How do I make that something I like to do, particularly if it isn't something I naturally enjoy doing? How do I turn that into a goal that's rewarding? So, Wanda, by the fact that you said that as a New Year's resolution, I can infer that it's not something that uh, you love doing. Because you know, mm-hmm. if, right, if you love doing it, then there is no reason to wait for January to say next year, this is what I'm going to be uh, focusing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, what is the, the best way for you to do that? The best way in the sense that it's the, the most rewarding immediately uh, way. Like, what kind of networking events are actually going to be fun, are going to to feel good. It might not be fun, but maybe it will make you feel good in, in other ways. Uh, uh, what kind of uh, networking events uh, are, are not your style and will make you uh, feel miserable? And, and that should not be part of your uh, resolution. So I'm, I'm kind of trying to, to think, what kind of events do you have in mind? Well, I happen to like networking, so I'm not a good candidate for this one. But I hear a lot of people who say, I don't like networking, and I don't want to do it, and I resent it, and yada, yada, yada. We're in the I don't like to, so that's not going to be exciting and rewarding. But I could say um, I'm going to go to a networking event with three people I already know, so I don't feel so alone. Or. Okay, I could set in a goal of I'm going to meet two people at this networking event. And after I've talked to two people, then I can leave. So it's not so overwhelming. Is that what you mean by setting something that is appealing, intrinsically rewarding? Yeah, so you now took something like networking and made a plan to make it into a social event with a friend or a couple of friends uh, that is not going to take your entire day. Uh, and, and so uh, now it sounds fun, right? I will go with a friend somewhere and I will spend a couple of hours there and maybe I will meet another person or 10 that is interesting and, and then go home. That's something that could be intrinsically uh, motivating. Now, you can also think about whether networking for you is uh, no, is in person, is uh, uh, on social media, is uh, uh, on Zoom. How are you going to do it? What feels right? How can you plan to pursue this goal in the way that is uh, uh, most immediately uh, pleasurable? Uh, l- let me give you another example. Many people actually set as uh, their New Year's resolution uh, exercising. This is the most common resolution yeah, in uh, yeah. our data set. And uh, uh, now, now, what do you have in mind? Okay. Uh, are you thinking about uh, uh, becoming a runner? Well, do you like running? Okay. If you don't like running, maybe you should plan for dancing or swimming or I don't know, Pilates. Okay. Like, what is the the fun uh, resolution? Uh, what's the, the best way to do it so that it is immediately rewarding? Okay. All right. I'm going to take, I like this idea that I find that in the doing of the goal, I'm going to get some immediate reward. So my first steps are positive and that will keep me going. I'm going to take the notion of intrinsic in a slightly different direction because I see in my world, a lot of people try to get themselves, they want to get to a particular title. 
so particular grade level within their organization. And they jump through hoops in order to try to get to prove that they're ready for that level and so on. But there are so many things around a promotion that are completely outside of your control. You know, how profitable the company was this year, whether there's enough growth in my area, whether there's my manager is moving on or not. There's a whole host of things that you just flat out can't control. So having a goal that you can't control success on seems to me to be terribly demotivating. So I always say to people, think about the skills you need to acquire, something you want to learn, something you want to do differently that puts you on the trajectory for the promotion, but it's now under your control. So it's another version of, I find something that I care about doing, not just for that check banner um, of promotion that I can't control. Want to react to that? Yes. Uh, so there, there are a few nice things that I like about your, your example. Uh, first, it is uh, in your control. Okay? Second, you can therefore monitor progress. Okay? And you know, if, if you cannot monitor progress, if you don't know how far you, you've come, then it, it, it's really hard to stay motivated. But if you are trying to acquire a particular skill, then you can tell me what you have done and what you still uh, have to do. And another thing here is that it is not too abstract. And we're trying to set goals that are in between being too concrete to being too abstract. Okay, we don't want it to be so general that uh, how do I you know even get there? Okay, I don't like when people say that their goal is to be happy. Okay, like what does that mean? Okay, what do you do to be happy? Okay. Set the goal on, on that level. And so what does it mean to, to get a promotion? What kind of person you need to be? Set the goal on that level so it is still motivating, not too concrete, but also not so abstract that That's it's right. really hard to connect to action. Right. I see this all the time as people set change goals, usually on the back of feedback, and they'll say things like, I want to improve my communication. Well, that, I don't even know where you begin with that, exactly as you yeah. said. It's so abstract. It's a good intention, but that intention doesn't get you to an action plan that actually you can measure progress and see progress. All right. I want to talk about, um, I'm going to shift a little bit and then I'm going to come back again. But I want to talk about this lovely concept as you're monitoring progress of the middle and the place in the middle between I've started, but I haven't gotten the end. And that's where most people lose momentum. Explain this whole thing about the long middle and how do we handle it? Let, let me start with a study because it's also right now around the, the Hanukkah uh, holiday. And one of the studies that uh, we met to artillery at Northwestern I went was around that holiday. Uh, if you aren't familiar with that Jewish holiday, the tradition tells you that you need to light the candles in the menorah on eight consecutive nights. When we followed with people who said that they are celebrating the holiday, we found that most of them were lighting the candles on the first night. Most of them were lighting the candles on the last night. The problem was in the middle. Okay, So even though it's not a lot of work, people were not doing such a great job lighting those candles between the, uh, night two and night seven. Uh, now, this is just a, a fun illustration of a basic principle in, in pursuing goals that you, you start with a lot of energy. If there is a, a clear endpoint, okay, it's an 
all or nothing uh, goal, then you usually end with uh, some enthusiasm, some energy. And in the middle, you are uh, not quite uh, engaged. The, the solution is really to try to make the middles short as, as much as you can. So, you know, saving for retirement, that's a difficult goal because your life is, is in the middle. Okay? But if you set your saving goal as an annual goal or uh, you, you set it like a monthly goal for your projects at, at work, uh, or for me, I set my exercising goal as a daily uh, goal, then you just have shorter middle. Or you know, if it's a daily goal, you, you don't have a middle at all. You can right. eliminate well, the middle problem. If you think about strategy and strategy execution in a corporation where I've got lots of people involved, that's what we do. We create a roadmap and we say, we're going to hit this milestone and then we're going to hit this milestone and then we're going to hit this milestone and then we'll hit this milestone. It feels like you're making progress because you know what milestones are ahead and you know what milestones, there's a little reward for having hit that milestone. And this is what you're saying in effect is to set a goal that is a shorter goal that when accumulated gets you to your end goal. Did I get that straight? So yes, yes. And organizations often do it quite uh, intuitively. What I suggest based on the research is try to to set these goals such that it's the, the minimum amount of time that is still meaningful. Okay? Okay. So, right? If you only have that on average like one sale per month, then you cannot set a weekly sale goals, right? So you, you kind of need to think what is the minimum amount of time that is meaningful for people so that we can get a sense of progress and, and keep going. Right. Okay? Right, right. Okay, fair enough. Now, I want to go backwards because this is something you really write in terms of goals and you talk about incentives. Now, I think that could be a whole chapter in and of itself, a whole book in and of itself, just all alone. But your research says that incentives are best if they're unpredictable. Huh? Explain. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I say a few things about incentives, and, and you're right that incentives uh, are a topic of more than one book. Okay? There's a field of uh, behavioral economics that studies incentives. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a research in psychology starting with animal psychology that is about incentives. And actually, the research in psychology, the animals research, was the first one to point out that uncertain incentives are better and this is when incentivizing others, the reason why uncertain incentives are, are better in that research is that the animal will not know whether the incentive is, is, is gone or still there. Okay? That if my, my dog knows that sometimes I, I reward her and other times I, I don't, she will do what I expect her to do even when there is no uh, reward because it might arrive later. Right mm -hmm. uh, now, for ourselves, okay, when we motivate ourselves, we find that uncertain incentives do a few other things. Uh, one is that they are challenging, okay? and so you are just uh, excited to see whether you will be able to meet this challenge and, and get the incentive. Okay, if I know that it's there, then I, I'm less excited to try to uh, meet uh, uh, the goal. Uh, they are also um, exciting because I'm curious to know whether I will get the incentive. So it's not whether I will meet the goal, it's like whether I will get the incentive, what the incentive is uh, uh, is, is going to uh, uh, to be. So you know, to give 
give you an example in a, in a study that uh, I went with uh, uh, Lucy Shen and and Chris Shi, uh, we offered people either a bag that they knew had four truffles in it, or a bag that they did not know what was in it, but we told them there are either two truffles or four truffles. Okay, so these are chocolate truffles. Okay? And people are telling us how much they are willing to pay for the bag, and we will actually charge that amount. Uh, we found that people are willing to pay more for the mystery bag, okay? the bag that has either two or four compared to the bag that they know has four truffles. Now, what's going on here? Well, part of the fun about this like mystery gift is that it's a mystery, okay? that I get to find out whether I'm the lucky one who got the four chocolate truffles or the unlucky one who got only the, the two. And like th this curiosity, the sense of uh, uh, let's try doing it and see what I can get is, is a great motivator. And so beyond challenge, it's also the sense of uh, being curious and resolving the, the mystery that gets us going. Uh, so yes, uncertain incentives, they are often cheaper for you to give to yourself and to others, and they work better. So let's see, my incentive for doing a goal for today, let's say, should be, well, we'll say a chocolate cookie or a chocolate truffle. I should just put them in a random collection of bags. Sometimes I have a truffle, sometimes I don't have a truffle. And then I just pull one off the shelf and I don't know which one I'm going to get that day. Is that the uh, <laughs> the sense of how this would work? And I, you could. I, I would you know, think that uh, when I you know, try to uh, incentivize myself, okay, and I, I'm just, I'm, tr I'm trying to follow your example. For me, it's actually like the, the, the talking to you is not something that I need to reward because it's the reward in itself. But mm -hmm. you know, let's assume it was a chore, okay, and I needed a reward, and I would say, well, maybe I will give myself an, a nice uh, cup of chai tea. Uh, if there's time, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see. So sometimes when I do these chores, I will get the, the cup of tea, uh, sometimes not. Yeah, and okay. I'll stay motivated. Okay. Bonuses, right. right, bonuses are motivating more than that. Yeah, but that doesn't work right. very well, at least among my clients. Sometimes you're going to mm -hmm. get a bonus, sometimes you're not going to get a bonus. That is for sure for true. And then people get incredibly upset in the years that they don't get bonuses. There's something about money that isn't fitting in this um, equation here, at least year-end bonuses. And maybe it's the problem that it's only once a year, as opposed to throughout. All right. Um is there anything else we should know about incentives? Any other major two or three tips you would give us to think about incentives? Well, be careful with incentives. Uh, incentives can often uh, uh, get you the opposite of what you intended uh, uh, to get. Uh, you know, in, in my book, I give the example of uh, uh, Wells Fargo, who uh, created a, a system where you you need to meet the, the, the goal of uh, selling eight financial uh, products to customers. They called it the, the GR8, the Great Initiative, and that uh, led uh, employees yeah. to basically push on uh, financial products that people did not need. Uh, I also give the example of a French colonist who created a bounty system uh, back at the beginning of the 20th century uh, in Hanoi, where they would pay one cent per dead rat. In order to get the money, people had to breed rats so they can then kill them and you know, and, and get uh, the money. So many 
No, uh, sad and, and funny uh, stories about how incentives uh, failed because they, they changed people's behavior in, in a way that is not what you intended. What you need to understand is that incentive is usually not the goal. It's, it's a mini goal, okay? It's an added uh, uh, goal, okay? And so if the incentive becomes its own goal, it can change the behavior, okay? Instead uh -huh. of pursuing the original goal, you are now pursuing the incentives. So let me actually give you also an example about that. Bonuses. Okay. Yeah, well, bonuses, right? That, that's one example. I, I was uh, uh, going to go with uh, uh, just like personal uh, safety. Uh, if the, the reason that you obey traffic laws Okay, uh, is because uh, you, you are trying to avoid punishment. You don't want to, to get caught. If this is how you understand your, your behavior, uh, then you are going to be reckless when you don't anticipate that uh, fine is, uh, is, is possible and, and you risk your life. Okay? Or, you know, when, when college kids uh, consume too much alcohol, it's uh, uh, because in a way they got to the right age and they misunderstand the incentive to, to think that, now, it's still unhealthy to consume too much alcohol, even when it's legal, okay? And, yeah. and so incentives, just like be very careful with incentives. They should not change your behavior. Okay? In, I, no. that's, I like that the incentive needs to be a mini reward. It doesn't need to become the goal in and of itself. So the moment the incentive has become the goal, it's a completely different thing. It's not, the, it's not serving the purpose of reward anymore. Yeah, it's not an incentive then, okay? It is the, the goal. Separate goal, a separate goal. Yes. Okay, all right, fabulous. I have to ask you about striving, this whole notion of, you know, do we focus on whether I'm halfway there and I'm not good enough, or do we focus on I'm nearly all the way there and this is great? And your research says, well, it depends. Can you give me a summary on what's the best way to this one? Yeah, it, it, it really depends, which, uh, which means that uh, the summary will have to be more than one sentence, but uh, bear with okay. me. Okay. <laughs> At the beginning of pursuing a goal, okay, and when you feel like a beginner, okay, when you feel like a novice, it's better to look back, okay, the, the mm -hmm. glass half full, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, say you are 20% in, okay, say I, I, no, I already did that once, okay, I already signed up for that. Uh, once you are uh, like past the 50%, okay, you are already uh, advancing on the goal, you are already an, an expert in your mind, or when you feel like an expert, you will be more motivated by looking at what's missing, okay, the, the glass half empty. It's more motivating to say, I still have 20% than I've already completed 80%. Now, bear with me, this is confusing because by itself, progress usually increases motivation. People are usually more motivated once they, they have made progress. But regardless of how much progress you have made, okay, at the point that you are, you can either motivate yourself by looking back or looking forward, and it depends on how much progress you have made. Okay. And does it depend on personality? It depends on personality to the extent that some people feel very secure about what uh, what they do. So, you know, in, in a study with uh, Stacey Finkelstein, we found that people that felt very good about uh, how they do in, in learning uh, French, okay, these were American uh, students, they were uh, more motivated and they thought 
they sought negative feedback. Okay? They, they sought to, to learn from someone who will highlight their, their mistakes. People did not feel very secure about learning French, about how, uh, where they can learn the language. They were looking for someone who will give them positive feedback. They were looking at their past achievements at the glass half full. They wanted to look back and learn from their strengths, not from what is still missing. This, um, I think this is a really, really important part, and you've pegged it both times in terms of expertise. So one of the things we know also is that if you are an expert in your particular area and you know your stuff and you know it really well, people are open to criticism. They'll take it well. They tend not to get defensive. They seek it because they're looking for that one little bit that's going to make them even better at what they're already good at. But when you're not sure you're strong enough or expertise enough in your area, then the negative feedback really hurts. It's hard to take. People don't want it. And you're saying the same thing here is true. The more confident I feel in my capabilities, the more secure I feel in my ability to learn something, acquire something, more expertise, the more willing I am to take the negative feedback. Um, and reverse is true if I'm not feeling very secure. Uh, absolutely. And uh, it basically relates to what negative feedback means to you. Okay. If you are the expert, you see negative feedback as, as lack of progress. Okay, I haven't done enough. Okay, I should do more. If you feel like you're not the expert or you might be objectively not the expert, you take negative feedback to mean something very different. And what it means for you is that you cannot do it, okay? that you don't have the commitment, that you don't have the, the ability. If, the same kind of feedback would mean something very different for someone who, who doesn't feel uh, secure. Like the, the employee who just started a job and, and you give them negative feedback, well, their conclusion is not, oh, I need to do more. Okay, their conclusion is, I'm not good at it. Okay, this is not, not going to work for me, which is not what you want people to infer, which is why you should be very careful with negative feedback. Okay. All right. I do an awful lot about helping people understand how to give feedback. This is permanently going into my pitch on the difference between positive and negative feedback and when you should use one. That is a really powerful statement in terms of um, leading people. Okay. Ayala, this is a good place to kind of take a pause, take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk for this last piece about multiple goals. And this notion of how do you understand multiple goals? Do you compromise or do you prioritize? What's the right answer in this whole notion of keeping yourself motivated? So my guest today is Ayelet Fishback. The book as we're talking about is Get It Done, Surprising Lessons for the Science of Motivation. What I love about this is that there is so much research behind each of these single points and some conventional wisdoms that we've all heard for forever that turn out to be more complicated than the conventional wisdom would give. And that's what's so powerful in the book. We'll be right back. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. 
Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Ayelet Fishback. The book we're talking about is Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. Ayelet is a faculty member at Chicago, University of Chicago at the Booth School of Business, the Jeffrey Breckenridge Keller Professor of Behavioral Science and Marketing. That's quite a name and quite a title for you as well. All right, we have been talking about keeping yourself motivated. And the problem with keeping yourself motivated is that you have to set goals that are better goals, meaning they're actionable goals, they're positive goals. In the doing of them, I want to feel rewarded by an action that I take. They can't be too abstract. They've got to be concrete, but they can't be so concrete that they're trivial in the process. We need incentives that work. The incentives can't become their own goal. And we need to manage the long middle so that we need multiple mini goals and maybe in order to get us to a very long goal. All interesting and much more in the book. And we've also talked about this sort of striving, you know, so how do you keep yourself on track? I want to talk for a moment now about this notion of multiple goals. Is the truth for all of us as professionals is there are many goals to achieve. And is it true that we should compromise or should we prioritize? Well, that depends on, on, on the goals. Uh, for most people, when it gets to uh, work and, and, and family, uh, what they seek is a compromise. Okay, And for uh, many people, when it gets to uh, uh, healthy and unhealthy activities, let's say healthy and unhealthy uh, foods, uh, they want to prioritize. They want to prioritize the, the healthy over the, uh, the unhealthy. Understanding what you're trying to achieve matters because that will influence your strategy. If you are looking to compromise, your strategy is to to look for these 
activities or, or means that are going to help you with more than, than one goal. Okay? We, we call them uh, multifinal uh, means in, uh, in, in the literature. Uh, and basically, I refer to this as uh, feeding two birds with one scone uh, because I don't like killing birds. And what I mean by that is uh, finding a way to uh, pursue a career that also fits with what you want to have for your family, okay? Or plan your, your, your family life in a way that also uh, fits your, your career. Uh, if, on the other hand, we are looking to, to prioritize, then it's about self-control dilemma. Okay, and, and then it's about how I'm going to steer myself toward the, the goal and away from the, the temptation. And the strategies are very different. This is when we advise people to make a plan for several instances together. Okay, so think about, uh, uh, let's say, with a, uh, let's stay with a food example. Think about purchasing your, your food in, in bulk okay, so that you can plan all your meals for the week together, and that helps to uh, think about getting more uh, healthier uh, food. Uh, also, I anticipate temptations, okay, know when it is going to be hard. We know that when you give yourself an early warning that something is going to be difficult, that situation is going to be stressful, that uh, there's going to be like too much of something that you don't want to consume in, in a party, Knowing about this in advance helps people retrieve their self-control uh, resources and, and approach the situation with, with more self-control. So, so a long answer here, but basically knowing whether you are prioritizing or compromising will influence what happens next. So uh, the, it's, it's interesting to say, am I really trying to achieve one primary goal or am I trying to achieve multiple goals and I've got to compro uh, compromise how I spend my resources in order to achieve multiple goals. And I love the notion that that then sets up very different priorities. I mean, very different strategies, very different sets of actions. So to stay motivated when I've got multiple competing goals and I'm going to do all goals, I'm going to compromise among how I spend. I'm looking for actions that serve those multiple goals simultaneously. But if I'm in the case of prioritizing, I've got to really focus on how I either do things um, in large quantities altogether or I focus on self-control? Well, so for the latter part, if you're prioritizing, then you are experiencing a self-control conflict. Okay? Okay. Then you're trying to get yourself to focus on one and like, kind of avoid the other. And when you do that, like the strategy of self-control, I gave example for two, there are more, okay, that two that I suggested because in my research, these are the, the most common right. ones that people use and that, that actually work uh, to, to think about multiple opportunities together. Okay, so don't just make a plan for, for now, but make a plan for like seven times that you will pursue mm -hmm. this uh, mm -hmm. and to uh, uh, think in advance about what uh, what's going to make it hard, okay? What's going right. to be tempting? Okay, very interesting. Now... That brings us to this lovely section in the book where you talk about patience. What can you tell us about how to increase patience? I love this section. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, patience is, is really interesting for academics because it, uh, uh, it goes against our just 
that human nature, okay, that we are not patient uh, animals, okay, uh, we, we want things now. Right. Uh, if you postpone something uh, for the future, people care much less about it. And given that we want everything now, telling ourselves to, to wait it, it is hard. Uh, and there are a few ways that, uh, that we can increase the likelihood that we will wait. And also there are good reasons why we want to do that. Okay? We often recognize that if you don't do something right now, you will be able to do it better. You will be able to get more. Okay, the idea of saving money. Okay, well, if, if I don't use all my income now, I will be able to grow my uh, income and, and have more money uh, in, in the future. Uh, pursuing long-term goals, okay, getting an academic uh, degree, uh, well, that requires patience because I will postpone that the immediate gratification in order to uh, in, in like two years or, or three or four uh, be the person uh, that I'm hoping to uh, to be and and to be more uh, patient uh, well I, I go over a few strategies let me uh, mention a couple of examples uh, here okay uh, one way uh, is to make a decision in advance really okay? what behavioral scientists find is that if we decide before the temptation is in front of us okay it's it's easier to uh, to wait for the larger later uh, reward so uh, for example if i offer you a uh, $100 now or 110 uh, next month uh, then uh, most people say just give me the money now okay mm -hmm. if i now ask you to make this decision a year in advance Okay, do you want in a year $100 or in uh, 13 months uh, $110, uh, then uh, uh, most people will switch to the, the more patient uh, decision. Mm -hmm. uh, th they will wait the extra uh, month. So if you can wait in advance, you will be more, sorry, if okay. you can decide in advance, you will be more uh, patient when waiting. Okay. Uh, the other strategy that I will mention is uh, uh, Reminding yourself, what, what is it that you like about what you are waiting for? Uh, what we find is that uh, one reason people decide to wait is that they appreciate what they are waiting for. They remind themselves that this is valuable, that this is important. And the more you like something, the more you are going to wait for the better version of it, the more you're going to be patient, reminding yourself why you like something is going to, to increase your patience. Okay, I get that in terms of waiting for money or waiting for a treat or a marshmallow, going back to some of the very old research on this one. Can you translate that into a strategy for when I'm impatient with a young employee that's working for me and I want them to get somewhere faster than they can get there? Learn a skill, for example. So, so let's uh, analyze that in terms of what, what would it mean to be patient versus uh, uh, impatient, right? So to be a, a patient, I think, would involve uh, not uh, criticizing them uh, right mm -hmm. now, uh, like not giving a harsh feedback, uh, knowing that uh, if you wait, your feedback would be a, a more likely to, to to help them and help you mm -hmm. being impatient means to just like say what you right. uh, you think uh, uh, right now if you make this decision in advance 
okay? Uh, not right now when they are doing the, the thing that annoys you, okay? the thing that you think suggests that they are inexperienced. It's easier to, uh, to decide to keep quiet and, and to wait and to let them uh, make their mistake. Uh, if you remind yourself why training is, is valuable and, and why this person, when they are fully trained, are going to potentially be a great addition to your organization, uh, then you're going to be more able to go for the, the larger later, which is again, like postponing the, the feedback. Okay. I love it. So I'm going to make the decision in advance, for example, that I'm not going to give the feedback until after the first six weeks, let's say, or um, a point in time. And I also remind myself why I like this person or why I like investing in the training or why this is valuable to me at the end of the day. All right. Fair enough. I want to turn last to one more myth. One of the things I like about the books is you um, take all of our common mythology about how, what motivates us and turn it on its head. So one of them that we've already talked about is the need to stay focused on the goal ahead. And you said, well, that depends upon where you are in the journey. And we've talked about whether positive feedback is actually the best or not the best for maintaining motivation. But what about this thing called failing forward? Uh, yeah, well, uh, we all heard that, uh, that and, and the risk with failing forward is that you are not learning anything or that you're even learning the, the wrong message, which is that you cannot do it, that the world is, is cruel, that uh, uh, to basically learn helplessness. I just cannot uh, uh, do that. Uh, and so, no, we, we briefly touched negative feedback before. The, mm -hmm. the risk mm -hmm. with negative feedback is that the person who gave the feedback feels like they gave useful information. The person that gets the feedback learns nothing, okay, or, or learn, learns that they cannot uh, do that. <sighs> Don't fail forward unless you are pretty confident that you are going to learn from it, unless you are uh, pretty sure that this is going to be a, a learning experience. Now, I, I say that as a researcher, okay, like my, my day job is to fail. Okay? Like I run failed experiments and and, and get bad results and, and, and learn from uh, that. Uh, but even for someone who's been in that profession forever, I, I know that they, 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 there's great lessons in, in failure. There is new insights that come from that. And then there are the times when you just uh, don't have the, the mental energy or like you're working with a new uh, graduate student that feels very insecure when, when failure is just devastating and there, there is the opposite of, uh, of learning. And so I, I would not uh, uh, on purpose let people fail so that they will learn from it. From it, right. All right. So... Then we're right back to where we talked about at the very beginning, that when I'm in the expert mode, I feel confident in myself or I feel secure in my ability to learn something. I can handle the negative criticism and I can probably learn from the failure. I can move forward. But if I'm feeling insecure or lacking enough confidence or novice in my capability, then the failure is just going to convince me that I'm no good at this and I shouldn't try any further. So it's going to be demotivating. So we come back to some of those differences that you need to look at in terms of the negative criticism or the failure, same principle. Yes. All right. Before we run out of time, 
I have, we've been talking all of this about motivating yourself, which I love because I think when people ask me, how do I motivate others? They're really, truly asking, how do I keep myself motivated through a difficult time? And what's it different when I turn now to motivating others? Is it any different? But they're not as big as, as we think. Let's say uh, intrinsic motivation, which most people believe is important for them more than for other people. So, you know, basically every year I ask my students how important it is for them to be intrinsically motivated at work compared to other people in the class. And, and everybody believes that it's more important for them than for others. And of course, it's a mistake because not everybody can be more than everybody. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's the same. Uh, there are a, a few differences. Uh, incentives uh, are often used to motivate others uh, more than ourselves. And this is basically because it's often easier, in particular, when we talk about uncertain incentives, it's often yeah. easier to create an uncertain and easier to create mm -hmm. an uncertain mm -hmm. incentive schedule for someone else than for myself. Um, we uh, briefly touched uh, the risk uh, with uh, avoidance goals, with do not goals, that they elicit psychological reactance, that people want to do something because we told them not to. This is greater for others than uh, for the self. Uh, in particular, if you are trying to uh, motivate young people, in particular adolescents, uh, this is uh, when telling adolescents not to do something is basically a recipe for getting them to want to do exactly what you told them not to do. <laughs> and so we see like these specific strategies that either fit more for others, like incentives, or fit less for, for others, which is uh, avoidance uh, goals. But in general, you motivate others the way you motivate yourself. You, you change something about the situation or the way we think about the situation. Well, I've always believed, and you've just told me now why I think this works, that if I don't understand something about you and about your key driver or your motivator, then it's hard for me to set up a motivation strategy or an incentive for that matter or an intrinsic goal that's going to work for you, Okay. So I need to understand your what matters to you, what is the driver to you. And what you've just said to me is it has to be something. We're in, when we set a goal, I have to find reward in working towards that goal. And if I don't know what's rewarding for you to work towards that goal, then I'm not going to set up the right structure to have you working on it. So I am back to I need to know something about what other people find exciting, driving, motivating, intrinsically satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. And you need to be able to listen to others and, and hear them and uh, get some input uh, uh, from them. Okay. Sounds perfect. All right, Ayala, my favorite last question, and I'm giving you 30 seconds to answer it. What takes you out of your comfort zone? Uh, what takes me out of my comfort zone? Uh, probably what we're doing now. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm an academic, and so I like to write my sentence and then go back and rewrite it and fix the, the words okay? and say, oh, well, actually, I want to say it in, in, in a different way. And so uh, um, live conversations, uh, uh, unedited interactions are probably what gets me out <laughs> of my comfort zone. Uh, I'm lucky to uh, actually feel comfortable to be uncomfortable, right? and uh, 
and, and learn from that. And, and so I, 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 I'm not afraid of being outside of my, my comfort zone, but definitely not being able to edit myself is, is nuts. <laughs> All right. I mean, you said anything today you need to edit, but I guess I should apologize for throwing some curveballs at you for examples of, I hadn't thought about that one. Fair enough. All right. My guest today, Ayelet Fischbach, the book, Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. And I have to tell you, there's all sorts of research ideas and tips and insights in the book, highly recommended. Again, I think the most fascinating part of all of this, I think one of my big things is this notion of the long middle and how to manage the long middle, as well as this idea that if I'm an expert, I can look back at what I haven't done and that will be motivating. If I'm a novice, I need to look forward into what I can to do or what I've already succeeded at. And I think that one has big, big insights for how we work with others. Ayelet, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. That was fun was fun and motivating and exciting. Um, if you I like this podcast, so. please like us on your favorite podcast server and otherwise join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.